talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Diana is in the newsroom. Will is on the board. All I want for Christmas is a Christmas. Here's Scott Thompson. All I want for Christmas is a booster. Oh, man. Uh, what do you do? Good afternoon. It is 410. I'm Scott Thompson, 900 CHML in Hamilton, 980 CFPL in London. It's Hamilton today. Will is on the board. And uh, Diana Weeks in the newsroom watching the world spin around every so often, stopping it for us to take a view. And then we spin it again because there's really nothing much there to see. Uh, Diana picks the song today. I absolutely love it. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not a huge fan of the uh, Jimmy Fallon parodies, but I think he's knocked it out of the park with this time. Diana, good choice. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I came up on my Spotify Christmas playlist the other day, and I said, "Are they saying waiting in line for a booster?" And then I watched yeah. the video, and it was just gold. So <laughs> this is absolutely perfect. I think this captures the moment and uh, and where we are uh, now, uh, where we are right now, and that is sort of standing there, going, "What the heck happened here? <laughs> what's what's going on? Uh, which way is uh, up?" I don't know. It's and you know Diana, it's hard for you kids to be in the newsroom and just see this stuff come through and come through. I mean, uh, after this amount of time, how do you uh, how do you break through it all? I mean, you don't want to laugh because there's nothing funny about any of this, but you really got to shake your head at it all, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. It's the only way to really stay sane. I mean, yeah. you know, I had to, you know one Christmas I started here and it all came crashing down in uh, about March of 2020, and then that Christmas was a write off. Now this Christmas is starting out to be the same way so it's uh you know it's it's a lot to take in for sure it is but you know what we're going to uh try to keep you informed and as well try to keep it a little lighter and and uh down the center as they say uh because you know it is what it is uh we certainly know what to do uh and uh there's not really much of us any uh not much any of us can do here uh diana and will of course going to be joining us around the big round table coming up after the 4 30 news so if you want to throw something up there for us to gnaw on we would love to hear from you send us a note scott thompson at 900 chml.com the phone lines are always open at 905-645-3221 star 9900 on your cell all right kieran moore dr kieran moore giving his uh news conference uh, normally for thursday bumped it up a bit not a lot, really, uh, you know, that we don't already know. Uh, but, but again, just a, a reminder that uh, there is increased demands for testing and for vaccination. And this is going on right the way across the country. This is not by any means an Ontario problem. And you have to ask yourself at this point where the Prime Minister is on all of this because our healthcare systems are exhausted and we know how much we are paying through taxes and provincial taxes for all of this. Um, but honestly, it's uh, to ask our healthcare system to go through this again and uh, just push it off all into the provinces, I think, is um, is, is he getting off scot-free, I guess is my question. Uh, hospital rate up about 9% this week, but the ICU still remains stable, which is good news. We're hearing more and more that, uh, that this is uh, not quite as severe as Delta. The concern is the amount of numbers and the sheer people uh, that are coming down with this as it is four to eight times more transmissible uh, than uh, what the Delta strain was. Obviously, 50% capacity limits as we roll into Christmas at this point. Uh, however, that can all change uh, because it is a, uh, a very fluid situation. And uh, Dr. Moore stressed that uh, these responses could be uh, evolving. Uh, socially, uh, inside 10 people, outside 20. Uh, we're still hit over 200,000 doses yesterday, uh, which is an incredible amount. So, uh, again, with everybody banging on the door at the exact same time, uh, it has obviously uh, stretched the limit of tests and of vaccine spots uh, that we have. And as uh, Will Apropos <laughs> correctly uh, called it off air, it's a COVID-19 rerun, folks. Uh, that's where we are. And, you know, you, you can stomp your feet and, and, and beat your chest. Uh, but it is what it is, and all you have to do is uh, open up your device or any immediate outlet, and you can see 
that this is happening right the way across the world and certainly right across uh, this country. Whether you're in British Columbia or New Brunswick, everybody is in the exact same position uh, that we find ourselves in now. And uh, again, it's called uh, an Omicron variant. And four weeks ago, we didn't even know what the heck that was. So in a very, very, very short period of time, it has uh, obviously uh, become uh, the prominent, the dominant variant. Uh, the next question is, what happens? How does this change the evolution of this global pandemic moving forward? As we we're talking to epidemiologists yesterday, the fact that it is spreading more, but it is not as severe is still uh, a key thing which could help us get through. Obviously, uh, 50% capacity limits is where we're at again as uh, not certainly not a lockdown, but uh, starting to feel more restrictions as uh, the Omicron uh, wave of this pandemic continues to be uh, a challenge as numbers uh, continue to creep up up today. uh, 3,453 new. That's down a little bit from yesterday, uh, but still obviously concerning. And uh, we're seeing this right the way across the country, every single province uh, and and then look beyond our borders and uh, more of the same. Let's bring in Ryan Malo, Senior Director of Provincial Affairs in Ontario with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, and is with us now. Ryan, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Hi, I am. Thanks for having me. Ryan, I can just imagine what you are hearing from members as uh, we all hear this information in the last week of, of where we are going with this new uh, variant. Um, that being said, wh- what are you hearing this week? What are, what are you hearing from members? Just a lot of frustration and dismay that once again we find ourselves in this position at the end of the year during the holiday season. I mean, it's only been a couple of days since we had the announcement, and even over the weekend we were hearing about Canceled reservations, events that were being moved, uh, you know, a lot of retailers concerned that this being the last week of the holiday shopping season, um, what's going to happen there with last minute holiday shoppers. Uh, and of course, no support uh, being announced by the province when they brought it in. So a lot of business owners are kind of left on their own with a lot of uncertainty moving forward. You know, it's 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 very bizarre, Ryan, because, uh, you know, it's not that we haven't seen these waves coming. It's not that any of this has been predictable by any means. But we, you know, everybody sort of had that feeling as as vaccine rates started to increase uh, and as as we were heading into December, that we would be in a pretty good place and a pretty good place for for retail or hospitality, whatever it is. And then, man, it was it was it was like it was an immediate uh, U-turn. How difficult is that for small businesses who were planning on, you know, uh, you know, at least reclaiming some of what they had lost over the year? Uh, it's exceptionally difficult. I mean, we saw some stories come out over the weekend. I mean, it's not just that, you know, your restaurant has to close down, but when you only have, you know, 36 hours notice before the actual uh, 50% restriction takes place, you've ordered food for the weeks ahead um, for uh, planning on a, on a full capacity or planning on having, you know, events or, or parties in. So you have to pivot uh, on that side. We heard businesses having to make, you know, the, the layoff call, unfortunately, to employees for the third or fourth time. Mm. Um, and, you know, it, it was why back in August, September, when we started to see just a little bit of nervousness around, you know, the weather's getting a little bit cooler, people are going back indoors. We pressed the government then to have a stay open plan. Uh, and as part of that, to if we found ourselves back down this road, to have immediate support available. And I think that's where the, the real frustration and worry is coming in, is not only are businesses being limited, but there just isn't support available to them uh, as they face massive restrictions. Uh, you know, you bring up a valid point because we saw, you know, certain programs come to an end, what have you, uh, as we did think we were we were slowly coming out of this. Uh, so what is wh- what are your members looking for now? What do they need now as we go into this new phase of this new reality? So I think first and foremost is funding. I think we'd like to see Ontario bring the small business support program back in. The last time that was available was April 7th. As a reminder, we went into lockdown number three uh, on April 8th. So Mm. that funding is still very much needed. Uh, On the federal side, it's great that the government passed the bill just before they left uh, uh, for the holidays that extended supports. But our numbers show that with the new thresholds, about 80% of the businesses that need help will not be able to qualify for it. You're a restaurant that's down 30, 35%. That's probably not viable for you, but unfortunately, you don't qualify uh, for federal help. So we want to see those uh, thresholds 
reduced immediately uh, so that fulsome support is available as long as there are restrictions in place. At the same time, I think, too, in addition to funding, the communications are really important here. As much as it feels like this is lockdown number four, and when you talk to people, that uh, sentiment is certainly outdoor, out there, businesses aren't closed. Restaurants yep. are open. Movie theaters are open. Gyms are open. And if the public is not going out and patronizing those businesses as much as they can, um, unfortunately, there means businesses are going to bleed out money every day that they are open. And I think that that's a, a message that we need to hear more from government is that these guys aren't closed. They do need your support. Please go out and support them. Uh, so you bring up an interesting point here um, uh, because obviously businesses are at 50% capacity now. Uh, funding obviously needed as businesses have to shutter. Uh, this has to be thought of again where they go from here. But is there anything uh, you, you were talking about communication? In other words, letting people know uh, that, that these that these businesses are still open, whether you know they want to get out and do it, that's up to them. Um, but is there anything else that can be done at this time other than funding to kind of ease all of this? I mean, I, I think, you know, if, if there's an opportunity to revisit restrictions as we learn more, I think being able to get back to capacity when it is deemed safe to do so is crucial. Um, but then I, I think as a public, I think the rallying cry is, unfortunately, it's the same as it's been throughout. It is as best you can, please support local. If you don't feel comfortable going to the restaurant, order takeout. If you don't have the, the mm. funds to do it this year, and we understand that the pandemic has been tough on a lot of people, let people know about your favorite spots. I mean, we've, we've said time and time again how, how devastating these lockdowns are. Um, this one's going to hit a little bit differently. Commercial eviction protection expires uh, mid-January here in Ontario. Uh, we don't know when the end point of this is going to be. Uh, we are quite worried that we're going to see substantial closures uh, not too far in the future. So as much as people can support, please, please do. The businesses and your community will be better for it. And obviously, it's not like January, February are really, you know, traditionally big months for retail or anything like this anyway, because people kind of shut it down for a bit. That's just it. And it's and it's and it varies by sector, right? Like for uh, yeah. retail, restaurants tend not to be big months. Gyms, however, tends to be the yeah. biggest month of the year. That New Year's resolution crowd That's is pretty good important. Good point. Uh, to the gym's bottom line. So that's worrisome too moving forward on when people will feel comfortable going back to that, let alone when they'll have full capacity. Ryan Malo with us, Senior Director of the Provincial Affairs for Ontario with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, talking about where we are on this global pandemic and reminding you to help supply and uh, shop local uh, merchants. Ryan, good luck with all this moving forward. Be well. Thank you very much. You as well. Happy holidays. Now making their way around the big round table. I feel like we're all throwing chairs. Uh, and there's some holiday treats there. There's some eggnog. I think the one on the left is Spike, so feel free to jump in there, kids, and uh, and enjoy. Uh, good afternoon to all of you. Good to see you all round table. You too. Hey, all I right. got some fruitcake. Let's <laughs> Let's... <laughs> Uh, let's start, start with the depressing stuff, but then I want to get back to, uh, Christmas music because, uh, is there any new Christmas music being created? Leave it at that. All right. Poll question of the day. Should Ontario, uh, be closing at schools beyond the holiday? Uh, my kid's already out. They're out this week. Uh, but I guess, uh, some are delaying coming back. Quebec, for example, coming back in, uh, the new year. I think they're going to wait another week. Uh, I'm not sure anything's really extended, but uh, what are your thoughts, Diana? Should we try to get them back? Should we keep going where we're going? Uh, get them back into the classroom, I think. I don't think that that... I personally don't think it's necessary to do the whole remote learning thing and all that jazz in January. And just listening to Dr. Moore, who spoke uh, you know, last hour, he was sort of saying the same thing, that he's not really seeing the need to do that. So, I mean, if that's what he's saying, then hopefully that will be what sticks. <laughs> and touch wood as I bang my head. Um, this seems to be a little bit different wave than what we've seen before in the sense that uh, although we're seeing massive amounts of people becoming infected, we're certainly not seeing uh, that translate into the health issues that we had uh, through the first, second, and third wave, simply because we have so many people uh, vaccinated now. So, um, you know, you have to think if, if this turns out to be one of those scenarios where the most dominant or what becomes the most dominant vi variant with Omicron uh, and it pushes Delta away and turns out to be less uh, evasive, less uh, less dangerous than, say, what Delta is, this could be 
uh, the wave that we're looking for to finally make us realize that this is just something we live with. And if you're vaccinated and you get it, you're going to be fine. It's uh, heaven forbid those that have not been vaccinated that are um, that are certainly uh, feeling the stress. Will, do you want to weigh in on this? Well, I'm going to speak on behalf of all the delightful little children down in Whoville and say, uh, why not just take another week off on vacation? Yeah, scra- scrap the online learning, but uh, give it another week before they have to go back into the classroom and let them just, uh, I don't know, enjoy an extra break. I think everyone could use that right around now. Now, I'm not backing this up with any data. I'm just being, I'm just stirring the pot <laughs> with a big candy cane yeah. at this point. I could send all my kids over to your house if you'd like. We could do that, Will. They can, clean, no. they can shovel the driveway. That's yes. right. Will's got them working. Will's, wait a sec. How come you can do that? Uh, all right. Lineups for testing vaccines. We're seeing that in uh, all provinces. We're seeing it right the way across the, uh, across the country as all healthcare systems are stressed. Are the provinces taking the heat while the prime minister is getting a free ride on this? We know that health care is a provincial jurisdiction. However, we know the money comes uh, from uh, the federal government. And one of the reasons uh, we have the weak links, we're seeing the weak links in our health care systems now are because of lack of transfer payments. Are the provinces taking the heat while the PM's getting a free ride, Diana? I don't know. Um I really don't know what's going on and, and, and in terms of like, you know, different levels of government and, and who's taking what breaks and, and who's taking advantage. I I want to say yes. I do think that we're taking the slack for um, Trudeau. But I mean, I don't I don't know. It just seems like a scramble right now with everything yeah. kind of not being communicated properly. No one's on the same page from province to province and on the federal level. And I just feel like. It's just a mishmash of a mess. <laughs> a lot of people were wondering how we got here, considering where we have come. And and, and let's be honest, uh, everyone's in the same scenario. So um, my answer to that is, I'm guessing, the sheer speed. Because three weeks ago, we weren't talking about this. Four weeks ago, I guess now. Uh, whereas now, blammo, out of nowhere, uh, you, you know, people are talking about booster shots. Well, they lowered the booster to 50, and at that point, there really was not that much chatter about Omicron. And then within a week or so, boom, and, and I think it's pushed everybody in, into high speed mode, and, and, you know, it's tough to get these systems back up and running. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure what you can do moving forward. Yeah, I don't know. I myself tried to book a booster the last two days. You know, yesterday, obviously, I was like, okay, well, it's really overloaded. Let's just take a step back. Today, nothing. You know, I've tried 10 different clinics on the Hamilton website, and uh, all of them say there's no appointments available, and it keeps freezing. (laughs) So I'm not upset. I mean, let the people that, I guess, really need them get them first, maybe, and then I'll go. Well, that's another big concern, is that, you know, we were at 50, and then we went to 18, and many are saying, well, that's overtaxed the system too much. You know, we should be concentrating on getting the 50, 60, and 70-year-olds and then bring it down to 40 and then 30, as opposed to jumping to 18. But that's a double-edged sword as well. Yeah. Because when other provinces are dropping at 18, people go, well, why isn't Ontario dropping at 18? So, man, it's, it's, it's a tough decision to know which way to go on this. Yep. Will, do you uh, want to weigh in on uh, whether you think the PM's getting a free ride? Well, uh, first I'll say I'm looking forward to our good friend Peter Griff expounding on the topic even more coming up at 534 today on the show. But, uh, yeah, I'm at the point where I see all of this as... Every single bit is tied together. You can't just dump it on one person. So you can't just yeah. dump it on Dougie. You can't just dump it on Dr. Moore or the poor IT tech who had to set up a website. It's yeah. everyone's connected. We're all tied together in this. That's been the the repeated affirmation of this pandemic. And so, yeah, if we're going to start distributing some side eye and some blame, it definitely has to be going up the channel to the feds as well. Side eye. I love that. All right. What are you most looking to uh, forward to when this curtain lifts again? What are you thinking about on the other side? Uh, wow. I just want it to be the way it was in the third wave. <laughs> what, are, <laughs> what are you most looking forward to? How do you what's good now? Oh, boy. Well, I mean, things <laughs> seemed pretty good a couple of weeks ago. I mean, just two weeks ago, I was at the Grey Cup, and I was like... Will and I were talking about that. Was like, it was Grey Cup great. just two weeks ago, and there was, you know, were we talking about this? I, 
I don't think so. I mean, yeah. I definitely don't think it was at this level horizon, of severity. But, yeah, um, but I mean, I don't know. It seemed like everything was great just a couple weeks ago. And I feel like I would like to go back there to that spot. What about you, Will? You're dying to get back in the movie theater. Yeah, yeah, I want to. Now go. that you finally come out here and like you know, willing to go out with you know, uh, with more than a burlap sack on, I guess. But you know, come on. Yeah, I know. And and now they're they're tempting me with the with the Matrix movie coming out, which I had said from the very start. Please, Omicron, just hold off long enough. Let me see this for. Fi- uh, I'll figure something out. Maybe drive-ins; those are still open. Some of the independent theaters that are just one screen. Drive-ins. We'll see. Yeah, I'll freeze it out in the drive-in. Okay. Drive-ins made a comeback during uh, COVID. They man. really they're huge. Did. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, but I mean, that's it's kind of like Diana. We're we're still thinking in terms of oh, or like you said, oh, I wish it was like the third wave. We can't even fathom. What it might be if this is totally lifted. I'm looking forward to getting back into it. You know, a couple weeks ago, I went to a a pho restaurant, you know, Vietnamese food. I went out and I was slurping noodles away. It was socially distanced and everything, but I was thinking, yeah, I enjoyed this. I missed this just eating at a little restaurant, not even, you know, something with. I was looking looking for a good noodle slurp. Looking for a good noodle slurp. All right, so we, we talked about this earlier on. You know, when's the perfect time to be starting to play Christmas music? Obviously, now, you know, any time would work right now. Uh, and, and I remember we put up our Christmas decorations early, uh, the trees were up, all of that stuff. And, you know, we started uh, listening to the Christmas music on some service that we have and we've been listening to for 500 years. And I'm sitting there thinking, my God, have they not changed the Christmas music since last year? Maybe that's a little edginess from the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm not sure. But is it me or is everybody tired of hearing, uh, you know, the the stuff that we've been hearing for 40 years? Uh, Other than, of course, what Diana pulled out for the, the show opener. Uh, that which was brilliant. Uh, is there anything new out there, Diana? Yes, there is actually, and not a lot. And I felt kind of that same way last year, where I was like, I feel like I've been listening to the same thing for like two decades. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm a big fan of Nora Jones, uh, you yeah. know, Jasmine, and she just came out with a beautiful new Christmas album. Uh, she does a couple covers, you know, like of the classics, mm-hmm. but then she also has a couple original songs on there, and so it's really, really nice. Very yes, cool. Yes. Uh, Will, have you heard anything new? Uh, I have not heard anything new, but when you brought it up, I started looking through, because this is something that always bugs me. I want more new songs, not just even covers, new tunes. So it's And you know, know what? They, yeah. make a, they make a fortune for the artist yeah. because they come back every single year. Like you get, if you can somehow master out a Christmas hit like the Mariah Carey, whatever. Wonderful Christmas time. There you go. Every year. It is a wonderful Christmas time because every year <laughs> it comes with a check. That is the worst one, by but, the way. But he was responsible. <laughs> for 100% of it, and it gets so much airplay. No, just what Scott's saying. Uh, I looked up a quick list, and I found some tunes by the Jonas Brothers. Uh, Jonas Brothers, Justin Bieber, and Sia did some original Christmas tunes. But uh, I, I would like... I don't know. I, I'm waiting for, like, The weekend to do something. That'll yeah. be in my jam yeah. when he Maybe comes Maybe a remix up. of an old Burl Ives classic. <laughs> yeah, but give it that 1980s Silver and gold, 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 gold. Silver and gold, 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 gold. You know, something like that. Spin it around. Spin Get it backwards. Get the uh, going in the background. Yeah, I'm just looking here, too. And Kelly Clarkson apparently has a new Christmas song. She always does well with her Christmas albums. And this one is called yeah. Christmas Isn't Cancelled, Just You. So I don't know. Is that, like, <laughs> is, is, that, is that, like, a... Harsh it's breakup the, song, or it's not the pandemic, honey. It's you. I yes, don't so I'm, I'm actually going to go listen to that right now because I just saw that oh, and I was like, that man. sounds quite interesting. I that just is... found a RuPaul Christmas tune. Just <laughs> yes, you did. Clearly, we've all spent too much time indoors during this pandemic and not shopping for good uh, new Christmas music. Yes. All right, thank you, Big Round Table. As always, we have a smile on our face, and that's all we can ask for. All right, uh, we certainly know what it has been like to try to find uh, testing and and even a booster shot. And, of course, the Ontario pharmacists have been uh, helping us out all the way through this global pandemic and lending a hand in this. But, uh, obviously, with what we're seeing with this new uh, variant, uh, even they are becoming uh, overwhelmed. Let's bring in Justin Bates, CEO of the Ontario Pharmacists Association, and is with us now. Justin, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Thanks for having me on the program today. So how are the pharmacies coping here, Justin? What are you hearing from your from your members? Uh, obviously, we're hearing lots about uh, tough to get testing, t- tough to get the booster. Yeah, and I think it's fair to say 
consistently across the healthcare system, there's a degree of burnout. Um, the pandemic, over the certainly over the last eight, nine months of the vaccine rollout, has taken its toll. And I think the optimism that we had heading into the fall, not uh, yet having experienced the Omicron, but knowing that we had such a high vaccination rate of first and, and second doses, gave us hope for the holiday season to have a bit of a wind down and a break. Now, fast forward to where we are today, where we have to ramp up uh, the infrastructure, health, human resources, supply, and it almost happened overnight uh, from where we were at 70 plus and, and 50 plus. And within a week, we went to 18 uh, and above for a third shot. So that's really meant extended hours. Most uh, pharmacies will be open uh, throughout the holiday season. Uh, and it, it is tough, but you know what? We're very proud of what we've been able to accomplish to help protect our communities. 5.1 million doses administered already. And I know that uh, many of our members feel a responsibility to continue. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of uh, challenges with the administrative burden that this program has um, and just generally the mental health um, impacts. Hmm. You know, uh, here in Hamilton, we were talking uh, about a Grey Cup a couple of weeks ago. And although there was Omicron on the horizon, we certainly weren't uh, thinking about it in, in any way that we, we certainly are now. Uh, a lot of people are, are angry. A lot of people are upset and, and think that we should be in a different place than where we are. Can you help them understand why we are where we are and, and how you just can't flip this switch off and on? Yeah, I think, you know, it, you have to be agile. There's no question a degree of ab, um, adaptability, right? When we think about the changes to all of the guidelines, public policy to try to combat this virus, and, and it, it doesn't take a holiday. It is mutating. Uh, there's lots of, I think, encouraging data, even though we're seeing high transmissibility and high case counts, we're not necessarily seeing that translate into hospitalizations or um, the occupancy of the ICU beds. That said, we have to be proactive. We want to be preventative. We don't want to find ourselves in a case where hospitalizations are skyrocketing and it breaks the, the healthcare system. So that is in part why we need to have uh, measures. We still need to be safe uh, and, and adhere to the uh, public health protocols. And the vaccines work. I think that's the encouraging thing. What we're seeing with the Omicron is mild symptoms in most cases, some asymptomatic. I think it speaks to the uh, efficacy and effectiveness of the vaccines. And, you know, when it comes to the supply chain and it comes to health human resources, it isn't a switch. As you mentioned, you really do have to have time to prepare logistics, uh, supply chain, getting all of those uh, vaccines in the hands of vaccinators. So um, we're doing everything we can. And the switch to 18 plus, you know, there was a lot of pressure coming uh, to the government when they announced 50 plus and why didn't they broaden it? And you can debate that. I think if you put five uh, experts in a panel, you get probably get two or three different answers. But I think it's important to get as many third doses in arms as possible uh, to help protect public health. You know, you bring up a very valid point, Justin. We were talking about this earlier in the show. It was just a couple of weeks ago that they lowered the age to 50. And many were complaining, well, why don't you lower it more? Because there were some provinces that are much less populated that were doing that. Uh, and then, of course, if you lower it too quickly, the same people are now complaining, well, geez, you've overwhelmed the system. Why are we giving, you know, 19-year-olds a shot when we haven't given, you know, 45 or 50-year-olds uh, the shot? So it, it's amazing how our, you know, we forget so quickly, um, uh, really, how difficult this is and, and try to sort of play both sides of the street. Absolutely. And I think if you want to err on the set of caution, you try to get as many people vaccinated as possible. That's our yeah. biggest uh, defense against the, the virus, including testing as a screening tool. Absolutely important. Uh, masking now with knowing uh, that this virus is airborne, having better masks, access to KN95s and N95 masks. So we're learning. There's lots of uh, changes that had to happen almost in, in real time. But um, yes, it's easy to criticize, but also we know that, um, you know, we're, I guess we're hopeful that this will be the third shot and we'll see improvements and um, how we manage this. Because in the other, on the other hand, you know, it, it, we have to learn to live as best we can if this continues to mutate and more variants come out. Because I think it's one more variant um, above where we're at today and it's really an endemic. And then we have to figure out mm. you know, where we go from here. Is it fourth and fifth uh, booster shots that are going to be required. I don't think that's uh, far-fetched in terms of uh, looking into the crystal ball, but 
um, we're learning as we go, and I think you know it's difficult to be in that position because you you can't go back if you don't do the measures properly mm. up front to prevent uh, hospitalizations. I uh, want to ask you, Justin, we have very little time left. Uh, what about the supply of tests and vaccine in pharmacies? Do we have enough for all of this? It's a bit of a dichotomy for supply. We do have enough total doses in the system. Logistically, it's challenging to get it from the public health depot to pharmacies uh, through their pharmacy wholesalers. There's a shortage of cold packs, as an example, which is needed to ship it uh, to a pharmacy, and that's a global shortage. But uh, we're also experiencing a Pfizer shortage. So Pfizer had committed to um, a number of doses that aren't going to arrive. So we're shifting that out to Moderna, and there was enough Moderna to backfill uh, and offset the decline and reduction in, in Pfizer. So it's just a matter of people showing some patience and kindness uh, as we get through to accommodate everyone. We will get this job done uh, collectively through public health, primary care and pharmacy, but it's going to take some time to work through everybody. Hmm. Justin Bates with us, CEO of the Ontario Pharmacist Association. Justin, thanks so much for all you and the associations doing to uh, keep us safe. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. All right, uh, Will and I talking off air earlier on, and uh, Will coined the phrase a COVID-19 rerun. That's what it seems like we are watching as uh, we head into the holiday season of 2021. Uh, we, we all seem to be experiencing a bit of a whiplash uh, because I think at the beginning of the month, and Diana was speaking earlier, she was at the Grey Cup. Uh, we weren't thinking about this stuff, and that was not long ago. And then all of a sudden, uh, bam, an Omicron uh, variant rears its ugly head, and we are experiencing a bit of a whiplash here, not what we thought we'd be heading into uh, come holiday time. Let's bring in uh, Dr. Diana Breacher, clinical psychologist with the Center for Student Development and Counseling, Student Wellbeing Department, Ryerson University, and with us now, Dr., uh, obviously, uh, even as a a couple of short weeks ago, we thought we were in a much different position than what we are now. Uh, it certainly wasn't back to normal or, or pre-COVID uh, conditions by any means, but with mass vaccination going on in Ontario and, and such, we, we thought that uh, we'd be in for a little bit more of a, of a civilized holiday. All of a sudden, boom, that all changes. We've been through this before, Diana. We know what this is like, but when you couple that with you know, that sort of whiplash that we thought we were heading for something, and then all of a sudden it, it snatched from us, it appears, in, you know, in the last weeks. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, um, it's stressful. And the three core sources of stress are uncertainty, lack of control, and conflict. Mm. And so if you think about living through a pandemic, certainly the first two characterize every day. Yeah. There's lack of control and uncertainty. And we thought we were kind of getting into control. And I think that's why this is so stressful, is that as the boosters were rolling out and we were feeling on top of things and the numbers were good, and then it changed. And it's very unsettling. It's, it's hard to plan a life when it could just be taken away from you. And so that illusion of control is very hard to let go of. And I think that's why people are so agitated above and beyond the obvious reason of this is a scary time and it's potentially dangerous, et cetera. But just the, the shift is what's so hard. So, uh, we, as I mentioned, we have been through this before. Um, we do know what the story is, unfortunately. Does that help us in any way? Or is it, again, just that, that shock, that shift, that it's going to take us a while to get through this? How do, you, how do you compare this with other parts of this pandemic? Yeah, you know, if we compare it to almost two years ago, March and April of 2020, there was so much we didn't know. We hadn't figured it out yet. And so it was just scary. There were no vaccines. Shopping was an issue. Everything was an issue. And so now we're actually much more um, skilled at navigating this. So in that way, it's not as bad. But we're also exhausted, and so that makes it worse because it's now you know, going into month 22. Um, so I think it's both. It's both easier and harder for different reasons. 
And it's look it's almost like we're looking for someone to blame this time. Like how could this have happened? We know what this was coming and you know, we're, but you're seeing this right the way across the country, right the way across the world. People just not did not expect this variant to take off so quickly. Um people are angry and looking for someone to take that out on and to blame. Is that accurate? Um I think so and I think that's the part where stress and conflict come together, right? So um in a way the stress is making us look for a way to release that frustration and then so you look for a target but actually we have to get a hold of that because um there's no one person to blame and um it is you know just the the virus is doing what it does and we have to find a way to maneuver around it and to still have quality of life despite the constraints and despite the disappointments of this holiday season and not being with family or being with family but being stressed out about it. Um, either way, it's going to be a tough time. So what message do you have, Diana, to those that are listening that are just like, oh, my, I can't believe this. I can't believe we're, we appear to be heading backwards. What, what message do you have for them as they seem disappointed going into a holiday? Well, I think the one thing that we do have some control over is, to some great extent, the day that we construct for ourselves. So can you um, bring in the things into your life that you know will be value-added? So it might be exercise, it might be time with loved ones, it might be doing your favorite hobby, listening to music, whatever it might be. Can you make sure that those are part of your day every single day? And that's the one piece that we can make sure is going well. And so take control where you can. What about kids or students? Well, uh, kids, you know, there's layers to that, you know, school open or not and all of those things. But I would say, you know, if you're a parent and you are, um, you have young kids, you want to try to make their life as full and as rich as possible within the constraints that exist right now. And so it might be family time um, that's just a smaller family, and it might be really tapping into what they love to do and giving them the opportunity to explore new things or learn new things. Um, I think there's a lot of things that we can do for each other, but it takes that upfront energy, and right now we don't have that much energy, but we have to try anyway. Dr. Diana Breacher with us, clinical, psycholog- or, uh, clinical psychologist with the Center for Student Development and Counseling, Student Wellbeing Department, Ryerson University. Doctor, thanks so much for the time and insight. Be well. Thank you so much. Talking about where we are and how we move forward with all of this, let's bring in Dr. Timothy Sly, epidemiologist, professor in the School of Population and Public Health, Ryerson University, and is with us now. Doctor, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Yes, indeed, Scott. Thank you. So, uh, Tim, what, do you, what did you take away from what you heard with Dr. Moore at the news conference? What stands out for you? Nothing surprising, Scott. I think it's just about exactly what we would have uh, predicted. Uh, what he's saying here in a reasonably calm tone that uh, we've never seen anything quite like this. And I think, actually, if uh, you asked me six months ago whether we could have seen a, a variant that could have spread this rapidly, I'd have said it's, it's pretty much impossible with a doubling time of about three days or even less and sometimes. So this is the response to it. And I think we're seeing a slight change in in paradigm, you know, a change in perspective. I think we're seeing the case of, look, at, um, let's stop the thing transmitting between people, even if it means somebody in a health setting is perhaps a, uh, is a contact, uh, provided they're, they're tested every single day when they come in for 10 days, I mean, they can still keep working, that kind of uh, adaptation. Do we have enough testing? Do we have enough vaccine? Because obviously, and, and it's, it's getting a bit political now, but boy, if you watch the national news right the way across the country, there seems to be a shortage of testing and a shortage of vaccine. Uh, do we have enough of these? Well, of course, it's a, from the business, a business model. I'm not a business person, but you can see how it's working. It's supply and demand. I mean, the vaccine rates were very high in the beginning and then slowly going down, 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 tapering off down. And then suddenly Omicron came, comes along and it's, 
it's I won't say the flavor of the month, but certainly you do a pivot and you got to get everybody to get vaccinated again. And this time, the the third dose is the is the thing everybody's shooting for. So clearly, the sudden demand is tremendous, and the logistics hadn't caught up with that, and that's what's happening. I believe there's a uh, another massive amount of fights are on order. Uh, there should be enough vaccine. Canada actually scooped up such a hell of a lot of it in the in the early stages, much to the uh, disappointment of the rest of the world. But it has enough. It's just a case of getting it out there. And I think that's where it's been slipping the last, uh, what, last week, I saw, saw, saw I suppose. Uh, many are screaming, couldn't we see this coming? How could we let this happen? And again, I reiterate, this is the, se- the same scene right the way across the country. Uh, the provinces seem to be taking the heat. Uh, should the prime minister be stepping up more? Well, you and I spoke about uh, the possibility of new variants coming along with different characteristics. Uh, six months ago, uh, eight months ago, we were talking about this. This particular one is is probably worst one in terms of how rapidly it transmits, but it doesn't seem to be uh, uh, causing more um, uh, disease and illness. And so keep our fingers crossed. This is that would be really a terrible situation if that was the case. No, I think I think we could have seen this, but you know, every single country has 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 been a problem. It's been a problem. It listens to the experts and see, but it's not actually here yet. So let's not do anything drastic. Let's not go overboard and and get too many of these things in place. Because what if it didn't show up? You know, it's the same with the PPE in the beginning. I guess we had for Canada, we had a tremendous amount of PPE in the beginning. And after the uh, 2003 SARS one, and then somebody says, "All oh, these masks have expired." Oh, I, tell me how a mask expires. I don't know. And they got rid of it all. And then, of course, this one came along years ago and we weren't ready for it the u.s wasn't ready for it either in fact they got rid of their pandemic response unit the cdc so no political group is actually ready for something like this so how do you uh, uh, reinstall these clinics in these mass scenarios which have been really disabled for such a long time down well, in the in the sh- just look back in the short term, you've got to say that uh, something like a fifth of a million doses were given uh, uh, in 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 the last uh, what last day? I think it was. It was actually yesterday. Yeah, two hundred thousand um, in a day. That, yeah. That's a record-breaking amount, and so clearly there's a, a tremendous up, but it didn't quite meet the demand. That's the thing. There was such a demand that the that the uh, supply was a bit low, but but you can see that the response is there, and I think. I think, and the answer to your question is, we hoped we would have learned a lot from SARS-1. We, we sort of, that decayed a little bit. I, I'm hoping we learn enough from this one that we, we're better prepared for the next one. But, you know, political uh, arms are always reluctant to do anything unless it's really been shown to be, you know, creeping up your street and it's in your neighborhood. Now they'll start doing something. And uh, it's, uh, but, but uh, you know, it was easy for us to sit here and say that, uh, uh, the, the response wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough. But uh, what what would happen the next time around? I don't know what, yeah. what, what it's going to be. Dr. Timothy Sly with us, epidemiologist, professor, School of Population and Public Health, Ryerson University, talking about where we are and uh, the news conference of Ontario's top doc, Dr. Kieran Moore. Uh, as always, Tim, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Thanks, Scott. Bye-bye. Oh, this this just breaking. NHL players will not participate at the 2022 Beijing Olympics due to COVID-19 reports. So if the NHL is backing out, how long before everyone else backs out? And is this a reason to do so? Many were questioning whether the Beijing Olympics would go ahead or not just uh, because of uh, China and, and what has been going on with the Chinese Communist Party uh, of late and, and, and their view of the world. Uh, however, it looks like uh, COVID-19 may supersede all of that, and uh, that may be the reason, uh, certainly the reason NHL players will not be participating in the 2022 Beijing Olympics. That news just breaking as we're speaking. All right, uh, we know where we are when it comes to uh, this global pandemic. Obviously, Dr. Kieran Moore holding a news conference earlier on today, Ontario's top doc, telling us where we are 
and uh, and what the future holds. And obviously, uh, cases in Ontario uh, down a bit from yesterday, but still hovering at a, a dangerous 3,453. Uh, Quebec sitting at over 5,000 today. Uh, that's a record for them, a record for the entire country, as a matter of fact. So uh, obviously, uh, the discussion about vaccination and boosters as uh, more and more becoming concerned about the Omicron variant, uh, we're seeing long lineups for testing and vaccine right the way across the country, right around the world. Uh, British Columbia to Newfoundland, uh, we're seeing lineups. Uh, however, this has become political, political backlash uh, through this pandemic. Uh, many are asking why we are at the air in the position we are now, uh, considering where we have come, why we were not better prepared. And I guess the answer that I'm getting from that is uh, that obviously we were coming out of this with mass vaccination. The the vaccination uh, numbers in Ontario are, are, are fabulous. Uh, and it looked like things were, were in fact getting better as things were starting to, to open up. We knew that things would get a little difficult as we went into the fall. However, uh, even just a couple of weeks ago, we were hosting a Grey Cup. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of, ch- uh, of chatter about the Omicron vi- uh, variant. It was in the distance and uh, obviously one of concern, but nobody thought that it would uh, take over and become the story that it is and creating havoc uh, from east to west and all around the world for that matter. So who do you blame? What politician do you blame? Do you blame anybody? Is it just where we are with increased fa- uh, fatigue and unfortunately, another wave. Let's bring in Peter Griff, uh, professor of political science at McMaster University. He is with us now. Peter, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I am. Thanks. And you? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks, Peter. Uh, obviously, people a little discouraged right now, to say the least. Uh, we thought we were heading in for at least a somewhat better holiday. And that has sort of been uh, turned on its ear as a result of this uh, new variant. Many are asking why we why this happened again, how we could get uh, caught in this position again. Uh, some are blame, blaming uh, politics. We see, uh, once again, more pressure being put on our uh, provincial leaders and the prime minister doesn't seem to be taking too much heat of this. What are your thoughts about where we are and 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 how you move forward from this on, from a political standpoint? Well, I mean, I think we are in a situation where people are really, uh, I don't know, upset, disappointed. Uh, you know, it looked like we were a bit in the clear. People were being able to get back to things like, you know, indoor sporting events or indoor concerts and, uh, you know, meeting family uh, without any concerns. Uh, you know, and suddenly we were right back to a situation where we don't have the protection of vaccines, or at least in terms of, you know, catching it, the vaccines haven't been, uh, you know, uh, they become less effective. And so, you know, I, I think people want to blame someone, and it's easy to blame politicians for that. Uh, and certainly there's some things, you know, that are probably are blameworthy in that, as people, you know, try and get, uh, you know, access to a vaccine appointment, and it's like the Hunger Games, and hmm. <laughs> maybe that... Uh, you know, or, uh, we could have foreseen this, or public health could have foreseen this and had, you know, more orderly way of ensuring that people get, you know, their booster shots and so on. So, yeah, yeah you know, or the distribution of, you know, rapid testing kits and that, seeming again, you, know, you open it up at Dundurn Castle and, you know, it's uh, everyone fighting over it and then they're resold uh, you know, the Internet and so on. Yeah. So, I mean, those kinds of things get people upset because they, they, they feel ultimately that there's not a kind of fairness to it and there's a lack of preparation. Uh, but, you know, on the bigger scale of things, I think, you know, our politicians will pay the price for the just general disappointment. I mean, uh, yeah, Omicron is, uh, you know, uh, hitting everywhere around the world. It's not the particular lack of preparation by, uh, you know, Canadian provincial premiers that explains why it's hmm. you know, been such an issue here. Um, so that, you know, that you pay a bit of the price for that, just like I think, you know, the premier was looking forward to reaping the benefit of things going better as we came out of the uh, the pandemic in time for the spring election uh, this coming year. So, you know, politicians reap benefits and pay prices sometimes in an unfair manner. Um, but, you know, tied beyond that are probably some criticisms of the, the lack of preparation uh, in Ontario that, you know, again, the premier is likely to pay in coming weeks as people get, get upset about uh, you know, the pace at which, uh, you know, they get appointments and so on. The thing is, though, Peter, is that we're, you know, you, you watch the national news at night. This is going on right the way across the country, whether it's British Columbia, whether it's Manitoba, whether it's Ontario, whether it's Quebec, whether it's New Brunswick, 
Uh, I mean, we're all pretty. We're all in the same place. Nobody has this done or, or is doing this right. Are we too critical? And I hate to use the word spoiled, but we think that you know we saw we saw governments ramp up these mass vaccination clinics when the vaccine finally started to arrive in large quantities in May, and we did our best to get all of those people vaccinated. Uh, then obviously we slowly started scaling those back as more and more people became vaccinated. I mean that you know we were taking staff from from other parts of, of, of healthcare in order to do this. Now it looks like we have to get back into that mass vaccination phase. And it's like people are ticked off that you just can't flip a switch and make that happen. Our, 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 our real, our, our expectations just unrealistic. And I mean, it's obvious why we're fatigued. I get it. But are, are, are our expectations realistic here? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, if you wanted to give everyone in Ontario a booster dose, uh, that's 13 million doses, and probably that takes three months to do. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I'm, you know, part of it is people, you know, look and uh, you know, there's someone on their Facebook page with a shot, and you can't get an appointment, and you know, you uh, begin to wonder, well, on what basis did they get it, and I didn't, and so. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot that's unfair, and it's driven by, you know, people uh, feel scared. They want to uh, be protected, uh, you know, and they want the, the the sense of knowing that there's a plan in place. So, yeah, I think people are, are unrealistic in their expectations of how these things can be done. Um, so, again, yeah, the part of which we, you know, blame our politicians uh, is often probably more than they deserve. But there's at the same time, you know, we can ask questions about how well, I mean, it was foreseeable that this could, you know, I mean, maybe not, it was a, not 100% probability, but certainly, a, you know, a non-trivial one that there would be another wave like this. And so, you know, uh, can, we, can we say that uh, there's been a good booking system that was put into place and prepared for this in the province? Yeah, probably not. Uh, have our public health units done well, probably in staffing up at a, at a time of year when it's hard to do, to begin uh, delivering uh, more vaccines yeah probably they're doing pretty well under uh, difficult circumstances um as we move forward with this um as we come to the realization of of where we are um what are we going to expect from our politicians you know a good example is you know many are saying right now uh, because there's provinces that have lowered some provinces that have lowered their age of uh, of boosting down to 18 plus. There were others that kept. Uh, I mean, BC was up to 65 until very, very, uh, uh, very, very recently. Um, Ontario went down to 50. We've seen various situations like that across. Uh, across the the country and such, uh, but it seems you know when we offered it to fifty plus, uh, many below eighteen were screaming, "Well, why can't we do this for everybody?" Uh, because you know, I mean, obviously that's the way we were administering vaccine through all of this was stage by stage by stage, and then it seems if you lower it to eighteen, everybody's complaining, "Well, you shouldn't have done that because now there's too many people uh, trying to access the system." Uh, at once. So, how do you balance eating your cake and not eating your cake? And because it seems we want the best of everything. Yeah, uh, I mean, ultimately, there's always going to be someone who's unhappy with the order in which these things are done. I mean, I think we saw it with the first uh, bit of vaccination, where you know they went with very targeted approaches, and suddenly it was hard to reach people. And so, you know, then they opened it up a bit more broadly, and you know, those spots filled themselves out well. So. Yeah, I mean, again, the question of, you know, who needs to get there first, I mean, there'd be plenty of reasons, I think, from the first wave to, to prioritize on the elderly first. Um, but, you know, we can also think of situations, uh, you know, given the way that uh, this variant spreads, where people who have to work in frontline jobs might also yeah. have a pretty good call on it. So, you know, I guess ultimately, you know, governments know that they're going to be criticized. Uh, from a communications perspective, they should come up with a clear set of, of guidelines and rules and presumably stick with them. Because, again, I mean, and we saw this out of the press conference of the uh, Nova Scotia government today. You know, ultimately, there's more demand than there are shots available. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, coming up with a plan about how those are going to be rationed, uh, you know, and one that, you know, is justifiable. So 
so that there will always be people who are upset that they aren't at the front of the line. But, you know, ultimately most people can say, hey, that's reasonable. Yeah, we recognize the people who are most at risk, and we're ensuring that they have uh, priority access. Peter Graff with us, Professor of Political Science, McMaster University, talking about the wacky world of uh, politics during a pandemic. Peter, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. You too. It is Hamilton today. Uh, Will is on the board, and Diana Weeks in the newsroom. And Scott Radley joining us now, coming up next uh, after the news at the top of the hour. Sports, uh, so rather, columnist for your Hamilton Spectator, and he is with us now. Scott, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I am. I, you know, I'm guessing that Willie Nelson has got the same thing for Christmas every year for the past 40 years, just in different forms, whether it's rolled or bagged or raw, <laughs> I'm not sure. But um, <laughs> The guy's probably got as many bongs as he does Grammys. Uh, I'm not sure he has oh, any Grammys, I'm or bongs for that matter. More. Oh, I'm pretty sure he's got a few. All right, your thoughts. It's just been announced that uh, NHL players will not participate in the 2022 Beijing Olympics due to COVID-19. Is this about a pandemic? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, yes. And I think you and I were talking about it yesterday and predicted this was going to be the case because there's yeah. just no, there's no realistic way. We're going to be talking about this on the show later, but there's no realistic way to do this without the risk that some player gets a positive test and then is quarantined in Beijing for up to five weeks, the Chinese government says. And, you know, I, I think if this was... Just ask the two Michaels how they feel about that. Yeah, yeah, a slightly different wording. Um, they weren't referred to as being quarantined, although... Mm. <laughs> um, but no, I, like, I, I think that if you had told NHL players, you can go and you may get Omicron and... Um, you may just come home and, you know, have the sniffles or whatever, you know, or whatever a healthy person is generally getting. I think they all would have said, sure, I'm in. Well, we'll take the risk. But that idea of being stuck there for weeks and weeks, I think that's a pretty good deterrent for these guys to want to do this. Now, the question becomes, and again, I think you and I may have mentioned this yesterday, what happens to all the other athletes? Yeah, is this a deterrent for the rest of the athletes or just the those that are going to come back to a giant paycheck? And I think the answer to that one is no. I think they will still want to go because they don't have, as you say, the giant paycheck. They don't already have the money. And, and you look at what, I mean, take a guy like John Montgomery, for example. And you, everyone remembers him winning the luge in Vancouver and walking through Whistler with the jug of beer. And yeah. he, he parlayed that. We, no one had ever heard of John Montgomery before. I mean, he did the luge. In Canada, there's probably not, other than maybe the skeleton or the 90-meter ski jump, there's not a more obscure winter sport. And I have luged, you know. Have you? Yes. Uh, so when I was, so you're I, a loser. I, I was, no, I, I was lucky enough to be in Calgary uh, from about 86 to 89 during the Olympics, and uh, the, a bunch of media got to go and try the luge run, and it is insane. That was now was this two man luge because that seems rather close. No, no, and this was pre pandemic, so uh, no, there yeah. was no two man. Nobody wanted to go near that. No, but but John Montgomery and I say like a, a sport that nobody here watches regularly parlay that into hosting the Amazing Race Canada and having commercials yeah. and and having a great career. Would someone like that? want to turn down their one chance to make that mark and any canadian who's in one of those sports who goes over there and wins a medal has a chance to really turn their sport into something that makes long-term gain for them so i i don't see any of them saying i totally get that i totally get that scott and that completely makes sense you know we're not getting the big paycheck when we go home so in other words you're going to go to uh, beijing and risk your life and do whatever you may have to do whether that's have anything to do with with covid19 or not because you're not making the big paycheck yeah, I'll go. Like that seems to be quite. That seems to be a very odd set of circumstances to to make that kind of decision. Mm-hmm. Oh, I may get sick, or I may not, uh, or I may end up like the two Michaels. But uh, you know, because I'm not making the big paycheck, I'm going to go. I, I don't think that if you were to ask almost any of the Olympians who are going, do you believe that if you got COVID, you would get really sick? I bet you would find probably zero percent who would say yes. Yeah. I don't think that they are concerned about the sickness so much because there just aren't a lot of examples of yeah. elite, it's getting out. fit athletes getting it. It's getting home. Yeah. And if you know what, if, if you can win, if you're a loser 
or a ski jumper or someone, and you can now turn your career into a lucrative thing, but it means you have to spend five weeks in China at the end. For them, 100% it's worth it. For an NHL player, not so much. Good point. Scott Radley with us uh, coming up after the 6 o'clock news tonight on the Scott Radley Show. And, of course, you can read him in your Hamilton Spectator. Scott, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Thanks. You too, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. That's a wrap for us. Thanks for listening. Always appreciated. Thanks to Will and Diana for participating. As always, we leave it to you to have the last word. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about what they were going to change the name of Facebook to, and I suggested Farcebook. Stay off of Farcebook if you want to keep your sanity. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.